You're listening to episode 81 of Chat About Children with Sonia Bestelich. Let's chat. Discover children at a whole new level. Be empowered to grow with the children in your life. Welcome to Chat About Children with Sonia Bestelich. Hi there and welcome to Chat About Children where we chat about all things children and empower you to grow with the children in your life. Now, today we are continuing the School Starters series here on the Chat About Children podcast. Now, this series is a rebroadcast of hand-picked episodes from Chat About Children that we have reproduced and condensed to bring you the high-quality nuggets of information to support your child who is due to start school or perhaps the children that you are working with. Now, of course, you can access the full episode on the podcast as well. Now, before I introduce you to my guest, I'd love to share that my upcoming Flourish for Mums four-week self-care program is happening in mid-November. It's the perfect program for all mums who are looking for a powerful and guided way to invest in themselves through self-care and to also connect with a community of fellow authentic mums. I host the program online, live, and it is inspired by my best-selling book, Flourish for Mums, 21 Ways to Thrive with Self-Care and Acceptance. So just head over to flourishformums.com for more information and for registrations. Today's episode is all about food fuel for effective learning. Of course, we're having our children attend school with the hope that they will be effectively learning and food plays such an important role in this. Obviously, fueling children with the right foods can be a challenge sometimes, especially giving them the right fuel to maximize their learning and development. So this episode, we chat to dietitian Monica Kabisniak, and she helps us understand what to look out for when choosing and preparing food snacks and meals for children, especially when our lifestyles change and become somewhat busier when our kids head to school. So let's get this chat started with Monica. Thank you, Sonia. I'm very happy to be here. I wonder how do we actually know as parents that our child has what they need in terms of just the quantity of fuel? How do we know when it's too much and how do we know that it's just right? What are our signals? That's a really good question. One of my expertise areas in what I do in private practice is mindful eating and I have spent probably the better part of 16 years honing in my skills of teaching people how to really listen to their cues, especially adults who have forgotten those cues from childhood because most of us somewhere along the lines lose that skill. So I feel that I am doing my best in trying to already teach my kids those skills, what they're looking for, what hunger really feels like or what their tummy might be saying or how they might be feeling or are they getting lethargic. And then on the other side, listening to once they've eaten enough, I encourage them to eat slowly and enjoy their food and really sometimes talk to me about how it feels, what the textures are like or what does it taste like so that from the start they're trying to get some of these mindfulness skills and hopefully that means that they'll have them for life. That's my aim, I guess, so that they don't have some of the issues that I see in the adult world of what Mm. I do with counselling. So I can see that even at their young ages, they're starting to be able to tell me themselves when they feel like they're satisfied. And when they push the food away, I do my best to say, okay, great. Even if I don't think it's enough, even if I think they need a little bit more, I do my best to say, that's great, excellent, did you enjoy it? And come back when you're hungry again. And I find that sometimes that, you know, 40 minutes later, which means that they didn't have enough and maybe I can say to them, 
you didn't quite have enough at lunch and that's why you're hungry only 40 minutes later. And other times they'll run around for two hours or three hours before they ask for food. And then you get to know each of your individual children that that portion size suited them because they're not asking me every hour. Yes. So it's giving them the opportunity to read their own body cues and to make that decision. And then I guess you're helping them evaluate whether that decision they made was accurate or not. Yeah? That's, that's correct. And then over time, what you hope is as they approach pre-teens and then the teenage years, that that's something that they're very effective at doing already on their own. Especially when, as on your young family, the amount of parties these children go to and the amount of food that is available at those parties, what I'm hoping is that that little bit of self-regulation that they're able to say, you know, maybe I don't need another cupcake, I'm kind of already had one and I've had a choice of this. And also just, it's interesting watching my children as the years go on, especially my older two. When they go to parties now, I feel like they're getting better at saying, well, okay, I'll have a couple of bits of sandwich and I'll have a couple of cucumber sticks and then I'll have a few cheesels or the cupcake yes. and then the pizza cake at the end, rather than just going straight in to having the chips and the cupcakes and all of those things. Yeah. And you can see their little brains kind of ticking and I still am there to guide them a little bit. But overall, I can see that, that with the practice, they're getting better at knowing what their balance is. Yes, and it sounds like you're role modelling their thinking patterns. So you're kind of thinking out aloud, for example, when you are at a party saying, you know what, I think I might have some cucumber and carrot sticks first before I head to the cupcakes. Are you doing that kind of thinking out aloud so they adopt that pattern as well? Yes. Yeah, fantastic. And parties are a big challenge. My goodness, they're a challenge, kids' parties. parties. Wow, (laughs) wow. And our kids are constantly learning, whether they're learning a physical activity or they're they're at school sitting in the classroom, after-school activities, they're constantly learning. They've got super busy brains, particularly in the developmental years. So can you share with us, and I've got in mind here kind of your preschoolers and your your school-age kids, What are the best foods for their learning and for their attention? And why do you think they're the best foods? Children should really be starting the advice we're giving to adults a lot earlier. Mm -hmm. Now, I really believe that foods like whole grains and nuts and seeds and fruit and vegetables, fish and lean proteins are kind of the makeup, the foundation of what you're doing. And the Mediterranean style of eating is very, very helpful. So why would you say that, I mean... I think I know why they're best, but why are they best for growing kids and for those busy brains? Well, all of those food groups in one way or another are going to be giving slow-release carbohydrates for great concentration and focus and being able to provide energy to the brain and for thinking and learning. And then if we're looking at activities for your muscles and performance-based activities as well, not just academic learning. We have nuts and seeds and fish, for example, that are going to provide omega-3 and fatty acids, which is really great for for brain and improving mood and concentration. So in research, a lot of these things have been proven over and over again. Fruit and vegetables have got your antioxidants and your phytonutrients that have been shown to help improve blood flow to the brain, which is, of course, something that you need if you're going to be in the classroom all day. And for a lot of the children out there, you know, they're doing 
other activities outside of school where they're learning another language because they speak a different language at home or they're doing tutoring and those types of things. So it's not just the school day, they have to be switched on sometimes even after school. Oh, absolutely. Uh, and things like lean protein give the body vitality and the brain vitality to stay awake. So together, when you put all of that together on a plate and you're looking at the opportunities of breakfast, lunch and dinner and snacks, you're really fueling the brain all day long. Yeah, absolutely. Is what kids need these days because there are positives and negatives to the way that kids are growing up at the moment, I feel. And we want them to have free play and be able to just let their minds release and and come up with imaginative stories and games. But you need really nutritious food to do that too, for them to just think and be with siblings or friends and play dates or just on their own and, and make up their own little games, as well as the fact that when they're in school, to be able to do that. But also kids are doing a lot of extra things nowadays compared to maybe when you and I were young. And so I think the fueling is even more important if they're going to be doing up to several activities extra per week, especially if you're doing music and language and sporting activities. So these types of foods actually give them that energy all day long. Can you give us an example of what you pack for a day? What does a day look like for a dietitian with three kids What are your kids having for breakfast? What are they having for their snacks and lunch and dinner? I look for cereals that have less than five grams of sugar per serve. And so that can mean quite a few options. There's lots of options out there. So probably our most sugary cereals, Cheerios, but everything else has at least three grams of fibre in it per serve, which is what we call high fibre, and less than five grams of sugar. Okay. If they don't have a cereal or if they don't have oats, then they're having multigrain bread with either a natural peanut butter or something like that on it or avocado or eggs. So that's probably our typical breakfasts at our house. Lunch boxes at the moment for two of my children, they're obsessed with wraps. So it's all things wraps, avocado and low-fat cheese or hummus and turkey or chicken, something like that. There's always one cut of their lunchbox has either cherry tomatoes or cucumbers or carrot sticks or something like that. Another component will always have either a few prunes in it or fruit of some sort. And then there's often uh, maybe four pretzels, for example, or four grain waves or something, a couple of veggie chips or something like that, that they like to have as what they feel is a bit of a, a treat. And then dinner for us is a whole heap of different things. So tonight was lean pork and veal and lentil meatballs with zucchini grated in with a nice Italian sauce, just a tomato-based sauce. Mm-hmm. And I tend to use either the Veta high-fibre pasta or the San Remo chickpea pasta or I use buckwheat pasta. So we've been very used to in our family not eating white pasta. Yep. For, for quite a long time because of the idea that it's lower in glycemic index. And, for example, like the chickpea pasta is also very uh, much higher in protein, so that's good for them, keeps them a lot fuller. Yep. Or it might be, you know, lean chicken and vegetables or salmon and vegetables, or I'll make a curry with chickpeas and 
lean meat. So we have a pretty good variety of different things and I try and do fish twice a week and then lentils and legumes get thrown into almost everything where I can put into bolognese sauce or tacos or the meatballs, for example, lasagna. I put it in curries and soups to give them that extra uh, plant-based protein, which is good for all aspects of health growing up to protect heart health and prevention of diabetes and energy and anti-inflammatories. So I'm very keen on those. So yeah, they do pretty well with having a little bit of everything. Yeah, and it sounds like there's a lot of good variety, which we need, I'm assuming, to get the range of nutrients that food has to offer. If you're a mum or know a mum who could do with some support, this is an invitation to join the Flourish for Mums four-week self-care program. This weekly program is inspired by the best-selling book, Flourish for Mums, 21 Ways to Thrive with Self-Care and Acceptance, and is led by the fabulous author, Sonia Bestelich. She takes mums on a powerful journey to reconnect with themselves whilst building authentic relationships with fellow mums. Sound like something you want to join? Join our community from anywhere in the world. Mums, it is time for you to flourish. Sign up at flourishformums.com. When we're looking at learning and attention and the foods that are not so great for learning and attention, I'm assuming it's stuff that we current constantly being told about, you know, avoid or prevent too much sugar in their diets, take away the fizzy drinks or just go for water. What kinds of things are a common culprit in kids' lunchboxes these days? And, and we can speak for in Australia anyway, what could be a common culprit that we find in lunchboxes that really are not that great? Well, there's probably quite a few. So depending on what you're thinking, there could be quite a few of the high sugar type fruit wraps, for example, or different kinds of muesli bars. There, there are some good muesli bars on the market. And I'll be, when I see people face to face, I do help people with brands. I'll be careful to not say great things about one brand and good things about another brand. Because what I find is actually even within brands, they have the better choices and then they have not so great choices. So looking for that higher fibre content or the lower sugar content helps people make better choices around maybe a music bar or a little snack bar of some sort to help kids feel like they're having a bit of variety in their lunchbox as well. Definitely looking at portion pack things, you know, things that come in small portions so that if it's not such a great choice, the fact that it's in a smaller portion, it's actually better for them. And learning, learning about portion sizes from a young age, I think is good without us actually telling them too much about that or harping on it when they're young but just that that's what they're used to and that's what they see as they get older part of it will be habitual that they'll know that oh we just have this little bite of it or a bit of a taste of this mm. so I think parents probably need to be a little bit careful about some of the products that look healthy or are advertised it healthy things like dried fruit apricot covered in coconut for example mm. and it has 15 grams of sugar for a small 30 or 40 gram serve which means it has 30 grams of sugar per 100 grams and we're looking for things that have less than 10 or less than 20 if they contain fruit those fruit strap sticky things and things that have like cheesy sauces that are potentially not fresh cheese you know cheesy spread things that have low fibre crackers that go with them 
that are high in glycemic index, which means that your kids are going to digest them very, very quickly. Yeah. And therefore, when they need that bit of sustenance right in that before lunch period or right before that last hour of school, they tend to slump and not be able to think so well because that food was digested so quickly it was mm. gone 45 minutes ago and then they're expected to still hold that concentration right until the end of class. So some of those culprity things in lunchboxes are what parents talk to me about a lot. It sounds like we need to give them what we call the slow release or low GI type foods and maybe some protein in there. So what would be kind of your top three after school snack or morning tea snack ideas that's going to tick those boxes? Okay, well, I have a few. Sorry, Sonia, I've got more than three. So think about things like whole grain toast with toppings. Yep. Uh, avocado toppings or baked beans or a little bit of egg or peanut butter. As long as there's no allergies, obviously, the nut things are okay. And age-appropriate, of course. We eat better flowers that have fruit and nuts in them or savoury muffins. I have a lot of younger clients that enjoy savoury muffins or like mini frittatas, for example. They're very filling, but there's something a little bit different. Yogurts, homemade smoothies with fruit and low-fat milk with a good dollop of natural yoghurt in it with raspberries or their favourite fruit whizzed in. Even during wintertime, I have a lot of clients that eat soup. Yes. For afternoon tea, for example. Kids come home super hungry, they're a little bit cold, give them a nice veggie and lentil soup or a chicken and veggie soup, and that can tie them over till dinner time in a nutritious way. And mm. of course, what happens to a lot of families is we experience the, the intense afternoon hunger and the kids go and eat more than one thing often and then they get to dinner time and they're not often that hungry. Yeah. So at least if we fill them up at afternoon tea with foods that are already semi-dinner, lunch, breakfast-type foods like savoury muffins or toast with a good topping on it or a soup, then it's not as important for them to eat everything at dinner time because you've already put a lot of those dinner foods into the afternoon tea. Absolutely. And for a lot of the kids, they need that fueling to go to the next activity, whether it's extracurricular, doing some homework, etc. So it's just kind of giving them that boost or even just to go out and play and have some physical activity going on and they say to me oh you know on monday i go straight to netball or soccer practice on tuesdays i go to my music lesson on wednesdays i come home on thursdays i do this and then on fridays i go swimming mm -hmm. then we're able to target and tailor the snacks so if you've had to carry that snack if you're a 14 year old child and you have to carry that snack from the very morning from leaving home, then obviously at 3.30 in the afternoon, you're not going to eat yogurt. Yeah. So I might say to them, well, then on Monday between finishing school and going straight to practice, here are some really good options for that day. Whereas when you come home and you know you can choose anything from the fridge or the pantry, then here are some of the options that you can have there. I get to understand when my clients work, when they've got home days, when the kids come straight home, when the kids go to activities, so that we can say these are going to be your easiest and your best options on that day and these mm. are going to be the best options on those days so that the kids get a good variety through the week but that it's also something that works for the lifestyle of the family because, of course, these suggestions 
are not sustainable unless everybody in the family likes what they're eating and the people providing the food know that it's doable. Absolutely. And it is a daily thing and sometimes it feels like a chore, to be quite honest. It may just be one of those days that they get a white roll with cheese and bacon on top, but it's not going to happen every day. And I think there's got to be some balance so we're not too hard on ourselves as parents, but we exercise that kind of moderation in our thinking too. Is that fair? Absolutely. Absolutely. And even as a dietitian, you know, I've been doing this, like you say, for almost 20 years. And I think there's a lot of people out there who expect my kids to be eating 100% perfectly, which in many ways would not be fair to them because they want to experience all the things that everybody can have at at parties or after school care or banana bread being a favourite thing or whatever the type of food is. But, you know, I also appreciate that I'm a working mum and I don't get it right all the time either, even though in theory I would love to because this is what I do for a living. But I really counsel around 80-20, really getting the foundation 80% to fuel people and help everyone feel the best that they can, where then the 20%, if in moderation and your portions are smaller and you're enjoying those foods, and sometimes we need the quick and easy things, you actually find over the years that people's health is very, very good on that theory, but people can also sustain it for a really long period of time. And that's what we need. I do have one passion though, Sonia, and I will say because I thought we're talking about children and it's really important, I think, for families to know a little bit about ham and bacon and nitrates. Oh, (laughs) because I mentioned the cheese and bacon roll. (laughs) Great. My children very occasionally also have cheese and bacon rolls. They have hardly ever had them in their entire lives until about, I don't know, three months ago because we've had quite a few of them show up at swimming classes and going out with friends and picnics and things and my kids will say to me, can I have these? And every time they ask or if my husband comes home with salami, for example, very occasionally because he knows that that's something that I appreciate not having in the house. Probably one of the things that my family will say to me, stop talking about nitrates so much, and, but I do, I nag. Nitrates are a preservative with the number 250. Sodium nitrate is what they normally use in ham and bacon and all things pink processed meats. And the World Cancer Research Fund has put out that they're linked to bowel cancer and we know that to be, to be true. So they encourage to not have any basically processed meats and so it's something I tell pretty much every client about it doesn't actually matter why they come into the clinic whether they come in for allergies or irritable bowel where ham is safe for the irritable bowel elimination diet that I put people on every single person I think walks out my door where we've talked about nitrates okay so building awareness there I want people to know about them so they can make their own personal decision about how much of it they have. I just want them to know that the information is there because it's not widely spoken about mm-hmm. and then mm-hmm. they can decide their level of what they feel is right for them. But, of course, in children, we don't potentially want their bowel to be exposed to nitrates where it increases the risk of bowel cancer then later in, in life. And the good news is, is that there are lots starting to be lots more products available that are nitrate free. I have noticed this, yes. So I buy bacon probably at least once every three to four weeks 
because my husband and I really do enjoy it and we're real people you know I'm a dietitian but we are very real people and I am a foodie I'm not actually just a dietitian who's clinical I talk a lot about evidence-based practice and I follow evidence-based practice but I also love food so we love bacon so I do bring bacon home but I now buy nitrate-free bacon okay and even though it's still high in salt and there's still a level of being cautious about that from a children's point of view they shouldn't be having high salt diets so we keep their portions of bacon very very small it does feel better that it's nitrate free and there are hams out there that are nitrate free and there are butchers that order these types of products in and you can now buy things at Woolies and Coles. Fantastic so and that's great for building awareness because not everyone is aware of that and there are options now where we can get nitrate free so it's just having that more holistic kind of health approach when it comes to feeding our children. And, and they taste the same, which is great as well. That's even better. Well, Monica, you have been amazing today in giving us lots of valuable information about food fuel for effective learning for our kids, plus even more on top of that. So thank you so much for joining us today in the chat about children. Are there any final websites or resources that you think you'd like to direct our listeners to after today's chat? There are actually some really good websites and resources out there. I do actually recommend individuals kind of start searching what they really, really want. So if you put in just basic healthy eating for children, you will actually get very credible websites that come up. But if you're looking at fueling children for activity, then you'll get things like Sports Dietitians of Australia and the Institute of Sport, for example, that have got great junior resources fact sheets for fueling really active kids. I encourage people to get out there and target their questions when they're doing their searching so that they find websites that really help them with what they need. So if you put in lunchbox ideas for kids, amazing what you get these days. Really, really good stuff. Fantastic. So get out there and just search away and have a really good read and find what works for your family. Awesome. Thank you so much, Monica Kabizniak. Thank you. So welcome. Thank you for having me, Sonia. So many valuable tips there shared by Monica when it comes to fueling our children effectively for their learning. Now, just a quick reminder to all the mums listening and to those who work with mums that my next Self-Care for Mums program starts live online on the 19th of November. And you can check out more details at flourishformums.com. I thank you so much for your attention today. I celebrate you and I look forward to chatting soon. Thanks for joining the Chat About Children with Sonia Vestalich, www.chataboutchildren.com.